Please, Psalm chapter number 71. Psalm chapter number 71. Psalm chapter number 71. Appreciate your participation in the service this morning. Trust that the Lord has already uh, blessed your heart. I had to get permission to say something because you know you don't want to let the cat out of the bag too early. You know how that goes. But uh, we've got a little good news. You might have already seen it on Facebook. John Barry popped the question, and Marissa said yes. So I. <laughs> Uh, congratulations on that. And so I'm sure that Marissa will be happy to show that ring off to you and all that. It's a good deal. I'm glad to have that. Slipped out of the service a little bit ago to uh, go take some ibuprofen. I'm not sure. I think I pulled a muscle in my back or something. And so I won't be running around on the platform or sliding back and forth across like Billy Sunday or anything like that today, like I typically do. And so uh, be limiting today. Uh, we're in Psalms chapter number 71. Do appreciate all the decorating that went on for uh, the, the auditorium and the foyer. Appreciate that. It's always a lot of work. It just gets done and you like it, but nobody ever thinks about the people who had to do it and haul the trees all over and all that. And so I uh, appreciate the work that got done getting the, the, the church decorated. We're going to read the entire chapter of Psalm 71, but we're actually going to use only one simple phrase from that text uh, this morning as our message text. So we'll read the whole Psalm 71. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me and save me. Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. By thee have I holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. For mine enemies speak against me, and they that lay wait for my soul take counsel together, saying, God hath forsaken him. Persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help, make haste for my help. Let them be confounded and consumed that are adversaries to my soul. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will yet praise thee more and more. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not for I know not the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth. Hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not. 
till I've showed thy strength to this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high, who hast done great things. O God, who is like unto thee? Thou which showed me great and sore troubles shalt quicken me again, and shalt bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Thou shalt increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. I will also praise thee with the psaltery, even thy truth, O my God. Unto thee will I sing with the harp, O thou holy one of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee, and my soul which thou hast redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of thy righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought unto shame that seek my hurt. So many wonderful verses in that, te- in that passage of Scripture that we could talk about. But we're going to look at verse number 19 in just one phrase. Thy righteousness, O God, is very high. Who has done great things? And here's our phrase. O God, who is like unto thee? O God, who is like unto thee? This is what, it's written as an explanation, but it's what we would call a rhetorical question. If you remember back to your English days in high school, a rhetorical question is a question that does not need an answer. Because the answer is so obvious that it would be almost silly to answer the question. Only today, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to try to answer this rhetorical question. Oh God, who is like unto thee? Our approach to answering this question is going to be simple. We're going to try to answer three questions and therefore answer that question. Question number one, what is God like? Number two, who can we compare him with? And number three, what effect should this have on us? And we'll take the phrase as our title of the message this morning, O God, who is like unto thee? Let's pray. Lord, not if we had a thousand years and the greatest minds in the world in this auditorium could we come to truth today on our own. We could not find help for even one person in this auditorium with everything that we have at our disposal. But Father, we came expecting to be helped, planning on being helped, and not just individually, but every single person in this room being helped today. For you're that kind of God, and you have that kind of power. And you've made those kind of promises. And so as simply as we can, we're coming and asking you to work. Everybody here, Father, has their own difficulties, their own situations, their own special needs. And we're asking you to meet them. We're asking that today, in the person of the Lord Jesus, they would find the help that they need. Let nobody slip through the cracks today, Father. Let no one wander off mentally but hold each of us by your spirit in your word. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ who has purchased these things for us. Amen.
going to answer our rhetorical question, oh God, who is like thee? Then our first question is, we have to understand, what is God like? How do you answer a question like that? Try to get your mind to wrap around. What is God like? If you're going to compare him, what is he like? Hmm. Well, last Sunday night we had a really enjoyable service. At least I enjoyed it. We called it, I am thankful for my God. And we spent the entire service, almost an hour, just thinking through the attributes of God. We would give an attribute and then we'd sing two songs, two hymns, one, for, one stanza of each, concerning that attribute of God. And we were really moving in a fairly quick pace. And in that quick pace, we got eight attributes done. Now, in an hour-long service, we got eight attributes gone. But uh, Rutherford, who was an old-time guy who just absolutely loved the Lord, did a lot of writing, he just adored the Lord, he said that the Lord's attributes are numberless. Now, if we had a numberless attributes, and it took us an hour to do eight, just skimming the surface, just exactly how long is it going to take us to figure out who are, what God is like? Okay, this is not... We have a half-hour service. I got three questions. We have ten minutes to discover what God is like. This is not a possible thing. So let's just kind of throw out some ballpark sketches here and get a, at least a glimpse of what God is like. We get a pretty good glimpse of what God is like through his creation. We have talked about this multiple times. But the universe is so large that our minds just cannot comprehend. It cannot grasp what the universe is like. We look up into the heavens as kids and try to count the stars. Anybody remember doing that as a kid, trying to count the stars? This, my friend, is a fool's errand. Why? Because the reality is there are a septillion stars. A septillion, if you do not know that number, is one with 24 zeros after it. This is the estimation of the number of stars, a septillion. Now, to get your mind to wrap around that, if they, the scientists or the people who do these kind of things estimate that there has been 100 billion people who lived on the planet in the whole time it's been here. 100 billion people. So if 100 billion people, if we took all the stars and divided them equally amongst 100 billion people, okay? So everybody, you got your 100, you, hello, that's nice. <laughs> you have... Everybody equally got their share. The reality is, you would get 100 billion stars yourself. Now, to put that into the, the, the real thinking here, if you ran a Kmart, Kmart blue light special and sold all your stars out for two bucks a pop, it's a pretty cheap star, two bucks a pop, you would be the wealthiest person on the planet. <laughs> Whoa. Now think about the distance between stars. Yeah. It boggles your mind. I, my mind just kind of, when they start talking about light years, my mind says, sorry, can I be excused? I just can't go there. Now, when the Bible talks about this, do you know what it says? Genesis 1.16 says, and he made the stars also. Like you'd say, I stopped for a loaf of bread on the way home from work. That's what he says. He made the stars also. A septillion of them he made also. Enough that you could have your own set of a hundred billion. 
And he just did that off the cuff, we'll say. This starts to get us into the neighborhood of, wow, this is impressive. The size and the scope of the universe just boggles the mind. I mentioned this before. It's fascinating to me. When they sent Voyager 1 out in 1990, it was sending pictures back. The scientists, the technicians were assembling these pictures as they came in. And the technician who was involved, the picture comes in, it looked like a normal picture in space. And they noticed in one spot there was one dot. And they couldn't figure out what this one dot was. And the technician was baffled and realized it was the last picture that Voyager sent as it left our solar system. And this one dot, a pale blue dot is what it's called, this one dot was planet Earth. Yes. It shook the scientific community. If you want to see it, you can type pale blue dot into the, into the Google search and it'll bring up the picture. It's one dot. Every person that ever lived, every song that's ever sung, every book that's ever written, everything that's ever been done by mankind is in that dot. You are, the whole shebang is one pixel on the screen. This is God. Yes. The immensity of this and the smallness you everything, the hundred billion people that have lived have all lived on that little dot. We start to get an image of, okay, God is mind-boggling. His universe is enormous and he's mind-boggling. How do we actually get our mind to wrap around this? But it's not just his creative work that is amazing with God. It is his sustaining work. I heard an illustration a long time ago, probably 15 years ago. I didn't believe it. I'm a skeptic. I don't know about you, but ever since the internet came out, I question everything. <laughs> they put it out like, this is absolutely true, and then you, so you tell everybody, and then you find out, oh, it's not true. So now I question everything. And so somebody gave me this illustration, and I thought, that's just way too far out there. So I did the math myself. And it was right. So I'll give it to you. It's not my illustration, but I'll give it to you. My folks love to feed birds. I can see my inheritance being spread out on the concrete all the time. <laughs> it's expensive to feed birds. Have you noticed that? Come on, Dad. <laughs> Cut that down a little bit, Dad. <laughs> they estimate there's 400 billion birds on the planet right now. 400 billion birds. Each bird eats a percentage of his own body weight. Okay? Yeah, every day they eat their percentage of their own body weight. So if you figure out the average percentage of the body weight, and you, figure out, you can actually figure out approximately how many pounds of food that the birds of the world would consume in a day. Okay? It's a mathematical equation. I won't bore you with all the numbers. Now, here's the reality. If you owned all of the goods at the Walmart store, you go into Walmart and every, all the merchandise on the shelves, okay, if you owned all of that, every single piece in there, now, not just Walmart, that Walmart, all the Walmarts, 
Think about how many Walmarts you drive by as you're going on vacation. Everywhere you go, there's a Walmart, right? And around the world, there's Walmarts. If you owned all the, in, all the goods in that Walmart in Altoona and every other Walmart on the planet, and you took all that stuff and you sold it, and you converted that into birdseed that Walmart sells, not the good stuff, the cheap stuff, Dutch, okay? <laughs> You sold it and converted all the goods from all the Walmarts into birdseed. You would feed the birds of the world for a day and a half or two days and be flat busted broke. That's impressive. Yes. God feeds those birds every day without even touching his abilities. That's hard to get your mind to wrap around, isn't it? It's not just his creative work, but his sustaining work is impressive. Now, consider he's powerful, okay? We get that. To say he's powerful is just like an understatement of the century, okay? He's more, he's awesomely powerful. But if we say he's wise, what do you come up with? It's easy to say, oh, God's wise. How wise is God? Now, the way the whole planet works together and all that, we could go into all the details of that and be amazed. But let's think of the other wisdom. Let's just think of the wisdom that he's given in, in the Word of God. It's an impressive book. I don't know about you, but I love books. I also love auctions, flea markets, garage sales, and where else do I buy? Anti thrift stores. Okay. Now, here's an interesting fact about people. People hate to throw away books. It is such an interesting thing. You go to, they don't, they're, they're not worth a thing, but people will not throw them away. You go to any auction you want to go to, and there will be Cases. The people didn't read any of these books. They got them from their grandmother, I think. And there, there's cases of these books. Now, you can buy the whole shebang for a buck. In fact, I was at an auction. They had a table the size of, they were all put together. They was the size of this section of, of pews. And they sold half of it. It's full of books. They sold half of it. I think it brought $2 or $3. It must have been 1,000 books there. And the person who bought it didn't even want it. They were going to give them to the goodwill as a tax write-off. <laughs> Good idea. If I'd have had my vehicle, I'd have loaded those up myself for a tax drive. But anyway, that's another. We, we, we digress, as they say. Look, why are why, people save books? Almost nobody reads. But think of why are books have no value? Okay, some older books, some books have entertainment value a little bit. And some books have collectible value. But why does a book have almost no value? There's no pun intended here, but a book has a de very definite shelf life. Why does a book have an expiration date on it? Well, let me ask you this. If you needed to buy a, a computer tomorrow, would you look at a book from, 2020, from 2010? to get your computer skills, to get you say, from 2010? 
they were still running Windows XP. <laughs> if you were going to redecorate your house this week, would you get a book from 19, the 1990s, a decorating book from the 1990s? If you were going to do, hey, you need to really up your game in your fashion, would you even look at two years ago fashion magazines? That's old school. Look, this stuff, if you're going to invest, would you go back to the 1940s investment books? You say all of those things, that's why they, throw, they won't throw them away because they're books, but that's why they don't have any value because who'd read that junk? It doesn't mean anything today. Why? Because they're full of man's wisdom. Just exactly how old is this book? And whenever I open it up, <laughs> this thing knows me. This thing is right on the money. Yes. Everything it tells me to do when I do it, so it does exactly what it says. And every time I disobey it, exactly what it says happens. It's amazing. Why? Because the wisdom of God is so far beyond. The wisdom of man. Yes, indeed. It's shocking, but that's the way that it is. It's full of God's wisdom, and there is no quote unquote shelf life to it. He knows you, and this is His wisdom. And so you, 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 it starts to make your mind to go, wow, wait a second here. We have this creation, we have His sustaining, we have His wisdom. We could go a long ways on that. Do you want to know something that I think is even more interesting? Well, I won't say more interesting than all of that, but more telling. If we're trying to figure out what God is like, with God, would you not expect, okay, with God, would you not expect him to be all wise? By definition, wouldn't you expect him to be all powerful? I mean, who'd want a weak, stupid God? Why? So you would expect your God to be top level, right? That would be the expectation. So none of this really throws us for a loop because this is what we would expect from God. God who's mighty and wise and powerful and creative and just and holy. That's exactly what we expect. But what I think is really, really mind-boggling, he is all of those mighty things. But at the same time, he's concerned about me. Amen. He speaks a septillion stars out and is concerned about little old me. He's not some awesome force in the universe, a creator, sustainer of everything. He is that. But at the same time, he's concerned about you. Now put this into perspective. Go back to the pale blue dot. The pale blue dot that you occupy, occupied with 100 billion people. 
Try to get your mind to divide the pale blue dot into 100 billion sections. That's your percentage of it. But it's not even that, because you know, realize there's 400 billion birds on there too, on that same dot. Plus, 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 plus. Try to get your mind to, to wrap around this. Exactly how much of that pale blue dot is you? I used to explain it this way at Meyer Hall. I take up, I personally take up a very small portion of this platform. This platform takes up a very small portion of this auditorium. This auditorium takes up a very small portion of this building. This building takes up a very small portion of our property. The property takes up a very small portion of the, the township. The township takes, is only a small portion of the county. The county is only a small portion of the state. The state is only a small portion of the country. The country is only a small portion of the continent. The continent is only a fraction of the earth. I'm nothing. Absolutely nothing. On one pixel. I am a fly speck on a fly speck. That's the reality of this. And yet this God who speaks out a septillion stars cares about me. That is really hard to get your mind to wrap around. And it is such that all hundred billion people if they really knew the truth, would say, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. How do you get your brain to do that? A God so big, he speaks out things that are so far apart it takes light years to go between them and there's a septillion of them and he sets his affection on you that is one billionth, one hundred billionth of a fly speck and he cares for you more than anybody could ever possibly care for you you say what is God like awesome and personal. That's what God is like. So our second question is, who can we compare him with? Who, God, who's like unto thee? Well, what's God like? He is awesome and personal. Who do we compare him with? Well, there's several comparisons we could make this morning. Man designs and conceives many different gods. Down through history, there's been a ton of them. They've taken wood, stone, and even molten gold and formed images and statues. And then the ridiculous part is they bow down and worship those statues. A more misbegotten foolishness could not be done by mankind than the worship of idols that he made from his own hands. To worship stone or wood is the height of human folly. What does man get for all of his pains? 
He does all this work and worships. What does he get for all this pains? Nothing. For God, those gods have no power. It's like the god Dagon, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. We talked about it the other day. God Dagon, the, they had him in, the, in his little temple thing there. They captured the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And they put it in there. And the next thing you know, in the morning they come in and their God is laying on his face in front of the ark. I just can't imagine having to pick your God up. But they pick the guy, <laughs> the big stone thing up and set it back up into place. Make sure he doesn't fall over again. The next morning they come in there. He's fallen face down, knocked his head off, knocked his hands off. He, they're left with a stump. I don't know what you do when your God is a stump, but that's what they had. Any legitimate person, rational thinking person would say, Let's haul the stump to the dump and, and let us worship this God, the God of, of Israel. That's what they should have done. What do they say? Let's figure out a way to get this ark out of here and back to Israel. And from now on, we're never going to walk on the threshold where our God knocked his head off. Just the, the brain power behind that is just lacking. But this is what we have. This is what you have to compare it with. These gods of the, that the world have created. Hudson Taylor talks of going to a temple in China. It's a major temple. And outside they have this outdoor court where they have got all of these gods where they're supposed to worship them. Only they're having a festival. He said it was kind of like what we would call a flea market. And so what are they, these people doing? They're having a flea market in this, in this, I don't know what you'd call it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm going to break that thing for sure as the world. They're having a flea market in this place where they're, they're supposed to be worshiping all the gods. And they've got all of the gods covered with their flea market stuff. They're using their gods like a flea market table. And he said, as you'd walk around, you'd see these little candles at the bases or these little food offerings at the base amongst all the junk that's covering this god. These people are trying to worship their god that's covered in flea market junk. And he said he wandered out of there trying to figure out what in the world, who would, you can cover your god with, with your flea market stuff. And so he wanders out of there. And then there's another little place that's set aside. It's all kind of secluded. In there's where all the broken idols were. It was the graveyard for their gods. And I'm thinking, how sad can it get? I think of Marie Monson who writes, she was also a missionary in China about the same, a little later. She said that there was a, a village and they were worshiping their gods. And pestilence came and wiped them out and they worshiped their gods. And drought came and wiped them out, and they worshiped their gods. And then the bandits came and wiped them out, and they still continued worshiping their gods. And finally they said, you know what? We have done, went through all of this. We've done everything these idols have asked us to do, and we get, keep getting wiped out. So they picked them all up, hauled them out, and burned them outside the city. That's thinking. That's thinking. Look. If you can carry your God, you have an awfully small God. 
if your God can get covered in flea market junk and doesn't have anything to say about that, there's something wrong with your God. Who are we supposed to compare God with? Those? These dumb pieces of stone? These pieces of wood that have been carved by man's hand? Are that, is that who you're supposed to compare God with? What if we'd compare him with the God of this world? Which be, if you don't know, the devil. What if we would compare him with him? Many people do either worship the devil directly or indirectly. Is this reasonable? Yes, he is the second power, arguably the second most powerful being in the universe. He's a liar and he's full of deception and he's full of hate and he's completely devoid of love. And yes, he is powerful. But he is totally and completely defeated. You realize he's on borrowed time? Do the people who worship him realize what's going on? The Bible says that at the cross, in Genesis it says that Christ was going to crush the serpent's head. It took place at the cross. And we talked about this the other day. When you step on a snake's head, you kill it. But the body keeps flopping around like there's still life in it. And the devil, he's doing a lot of flopping these days. But I'm telling you right now, the death blow has already been put. It's been done. And to, to compare him with God or to worship him like he is something, is to hook your star to something that's going down. It's a sinking ship. Why would you do such a thing? There is no comparison. People who've decided to follow him do it to their own damnations. But there is no comparison between him and God. What about the angels? Can we pair God with the angels? We'll let the angels speak on that. What would the angels say about comparing them with God? I'll tell you, they have one thing to say when they look at God. Holy, holy, holy. They have no qualms about who they are in comparison with God. Holy, holy, holy is what they would say. So who is there left to compare God with? And the only one left to compare God with is you. Now, lots of men in this world remove God from his throne and put themselves there. They try to run their life and reign on the throne of their heart like they are all that and then some. A lot of it going on. But let me tell you, that is a ridiculous notion. A fly speck on a fly speck should never try to run his own life. Should never try to rule anything. It is a ridiculous notion. So we've proceeded some way on answering our rhetorical question, oh God, who is like thee? One, what is he like? He's powerful and awesome, yet he's concerned about insignificant fly specks like us. Who can we compare him with? Nobody. He's in a league all by himself. 
Number three, what effect should this have on us? I'll speak quickly, listen quickly, but listen intently because there should, there is an effect on all of this. We're not just tilting at windmills here. There, this should have an effect. Everything, every truth has an effect and this should affect you. So let me give you four quick basic effects this should have on you. One, deal with your pride. Deal with your pride. It is the position of human nature to be proud. It's a strange thing, but mankind is proud. What's sad, more sad than strange, is the fact that many of God's people have that same attitude. Now, the world may not know better, but we sure should. And yet God's people so often allow pride to rule our lives. Now ask yourself, if you stare at a single pixel on a photograph, and on that, in that one pixel, a hundred billion people are also doing their thing, how much do you have to be proud of? When all you, you don't even get a pixel to yourself. There's a hundred billion people on the planet with you. Let me ask you this, what have you gotten that you did not receive? What do you think of a, a guy who's a millionaire who brags on himself and the only way he got his money is his dad died? His dad was a sharp businessman and made a bunch of money and this guy's bragging that he's a millionaire but all he did was inherit it. And you'd look at that guy and say, you're an idiot. You didn't do anything for that money. What have you got to brag about? What do you have? What have you done that, you didn't, that God didn't give you everything in order to do it? You have nothing. I have nothing to brag about. I got a lot to regret, things I didn't use properly that God gave me. But pride has no part, should have no part in our existence. Why? Because we are just a fly speck on a fly speck. And everything that we have God has given. And the only way that we can actually let pride live in our hearts is by not truly understanding who God is. If you've let pride stick in your heart, you've not got a proper view of God. It's just that simple. If you know who God is, you'll be on your face. Look through the scriptures. Whenever you find man meeting God, you find man on his face. It's the way that it works. And if you find pride in your heart, there's something wrong with your view of God. Number two, praise should not be optional. Now, the reason we have so little praise in our church, praise, actual praise in our lives in our churches, the reason for that is we have so much pride. When we're all sitting on the throne of our heart, we're praising ourselves. If we would allow God back on his throne, if we'd get ourselves off, we would find that praise would be the outcome. Hear me now, this is a huge thing. We would like to see God work in our own lives, in the lives of our families, in the community around us, around the world. 
if we want that,